Hello and welcome to 15 Minutes in Hell. It's a 15 minute long podcast. I'm joined by Jamel Bowie here from the New York Times. Jamel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. All right, so we'll start off with a nice, nice, simple and easy one. Right now, I feel like there is this massive difference between people online and kind of the major newspapers saying the economy is great in the news, but regular people are feeling it, <laughs> feeling quite the opposite. Why do you think that is? So I, I actually think, so the, the first thing is, I don't think the news is saying the economy is particularly good. I think if you look at news coverage of the economy, it's actually overwhelmingly negative, focused hmm. on, I think for, you know, for leg- legitimate reasons, focused on inflation, price increases, that kind of thing. But even when there's like, unambiguously positive news, you know, high rates of growth, low unemployment. It's often couched in terms of unemployment at a record low, but Biden, you know, still feeling problems uh, with Mm. the public, with economic sentiments, like always something to balance out the positive news. So there's a lot of debate about this on the internet. People get varied in their feelings about it for, I think, understandable reasons. But my, my view is that it is, according to Every traditional economic indicator, the economy is doing well. If you're asking, well, isn't inflation hurting low-wage workers? In fact, real wages have kept pace with, well, I mean, real wages means that it's keeping pace with inflation, but real wages have risen, and especially those who are the bottom quintiles. And so people on the bottom are benefiting from this. Um, if you ask, uh, you know, is it is unemployment low because lots of people have dropped out of the workforce? No, people are going back into the workforce. Actually, sort of, there are more people going into the workforce, and yet unemployment is staying low. Like all these traditional indicators. At the same time, there's never been a case, right, in American history where a good economy means that there's no one suffering. I don't think people making the claim that the economy is good are saying that there's no one suffering, but I, it's worth emphasizing. Even at the the you know the mo- moments people look back at as like golden ages, like the middle of the 20th century, the 1950s, 1960s, high on high employment, high wages, all these things. Large swaths of the country were still suffering in abject poverty. The war on poverty comes around for comes about for a reason, right? That people are right. struck by these horrible images of terrible poverty in the midst of plenty. So even as today's economy is, I think, I think just it's strong by historical measures. It is quite strong. It's quite strong for workers in particular. That also means that lots of people are suffering. I think that the 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 those people are more visible uh, thanks to social media in particular than they have been right. before. I think that's probably contributing to it, contributing to negative sentiments. I think that inflation in general just sort of like trips people up, especially since we've, you know, from basically, you know, the mid 1980s to 2020, we had this extended period of like low inflation. Now that was also very low wage growth. Um, right. Wages did not really keep pace with productivity. They didn't keep pace um, with, with a lot of indicators, but very low inflation. Uh, and so the increase in prices uh, over the past couple of years, even if wages have gone up accordingly, uh, still hits people, right? People still see that and they're like, man, things must not be going great. Um, and I would say that the the expiration of a lot of the pandemic era measures probably also contributes to this as well. Um, other things that people think contribute to it, I, I, I'm not sure, like people say housing costs, housing costs were as bad as in 2019, just about as they were now, but in economic indicator, people didn't feel as bad in 2019. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of bracket here. One of the things that makes this troublesome <laughs> is that things were objectively worse in 2019 in terms of economic indicators, and you know prices may not have been as high, but like most type of things were, and people didn't feel this bad about the economy. I think this is what's confusing that just a couple years ago. People didn't feel this bad. I'll end by saying, I think part of what's happening as well is that when you ask people, what do you think about the economy? No one knows what that means, right? Yeah. Like, no, regular people don't know what the fuck that means. Sorry for the language. And so, I swear all the time. <laughs> and so I think also when people are answering this question, they're also basically saying, how do I feel about my life? <laughs> but I how do I feel that, about everything? But I think that that's the thing because... I don't know if these economic indicators are necessarily indicative of regular people's experience, but also when you talk about housing, it's never been tougher to get a house. And I think it's that, things like that are what are missing from these indicators. That it's just goddamn difficult to get a mortgage. But it was back in 2019 as well, but not, it feels like it took a massive bump after 2021. Yeah, no, I think I think that I think the the experience of the pandemic, which this which made dislocated a lot to people in many ways, is sort of like the is the element here that people the economy has recovered from the pandemic, but I'm not sure that people have in terms yeah. of their sense of normalcy. I'm not sure that they've recovered from the pandemic. Because um, uh, I, I I would just I would just say right that like I remember. You know, 2013, 2014, when the economy was like objectively bad. Um, and again, people did not feel this negative. Uh, um, I think we're really looking at something that isn't necessarily how do I put this? Because like economic statistics are funny and that they, they are like you get unemployment or employment stats by literally surveying employers and like surveying right. workers. Like that's how they're collected, right? Like wage stats are collected by like surveys and stuff like that. Like the, 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 the statistics actually, I mean, in my view, they can't reflect lived experience in that sense, but they, they aren't like created in the abstract, you know, in, in some ivory tower, like they're, it's like on the ground data collection to get this stuff. Um, but what they what they cannot take account of is just people's sentiment with regards to their place in the world, their place in the country. And I think the pandemic did a lot of violence to people's sense of normalcy, to people's sense of stability, that when you ask them, you know, how are things? How's the economy? They're like, well, shit, you know, not great. It um, sucks. Even as even and it's funny because even as if you ask them specifically, what is your personal financial situation like? Most people say it's pretty good. So that that's the other like kind of weird thing that people are saying. You know, personally things are fine, but man, the world is fucked. And I think that is kind of like the attitude out there, and that is um, you know, that is a difficulty certainly for the incumbent administration here, but I think around the world. Um, incumbents are facing basically a similar set of attitudes, regardless of economic performance, regardless of sort of like the state of the safety net, like all these other things you're seeing across, you know, in, in Canada and the UK and uh, France and Italy, like everywhere where there are elected official elected heads of state, you're seeing our heads of government. Um, you're seeing uh, a similar thing with public opinion, which to me signals 
something sort of like inchoate that maybe cannot be measured. And that's that's actually kind of leads into my next question because you're seeing some right-wing freaks pop up. And of course, we need to talk about the largest of them. How scared of you, uh, scared of a second Trump term are you? How serious do you think this is? That's a good question. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, back in 2016, I, I, you know, there is, there, there are people should have been my <clears throat> milieu who are like, we should nominate Trump. He's the weakest candidate, right? Sort of like that. You know, someone argued, you know, Rubio is actually more dangerous than Trump. Like, blah blah blah, a lot of that stuff. And my view at the time was that Trump could totally win the nomination. I wasn't sure he could necessarily win the election, but once you win a major party nomination in the United States politics, you're you are halfway to being president. It's sort of like it's like right. instantly you have a you have a better chance and. Than 99.99% of people being president. And so to the extent that Trump is probably a shoe in for the Republican Party nomination, I you know, I I think he has a legitimate chance of being president. Um and even you know, even even a ten percent chance uh is is a legitimate chance. So I I'm worried about it in that regard. I'm still uncertain about how I think of Biden's position right now. You know, there are polls and they represent a snapshot in time. They represent, um, you know, people's attitudes right now. But one of the interesting things about elections in the past couple of years is that even as people express kind of negative sentiment towards the incumbent party, they still are not voting in, um, you know, these right-wing freaks. Right. Um, if a right-wing freak is on the ballot, they're not going to vote them in. If a reg, if like a regular right winger is on the ballot, they might vote them in for like anti incumbent reasons. But if if it's one of the freaks, they haven't been voted in. So that's, that, I don't know. We're next year is going to be a very unusual election year, not just because the two candidates will be old as hell, but because real presidential rematches are very uncommon. Um, a presidential rematch where you have an incumbent president against a former incumbent president is, I can only think of exactly one situation in which that happened. And that was the, that was the uh, 1888 presidential election or no, 18, it was the 1892 presidential election between Grover Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison, Harrison being the former president, Cleveland being the incumbent um or was it 18 yeah it was 1892 i'm not gonna get no I, I grew up in england we do not learn any british, uh, american <laughs> politics we also don't learn the british apparently but um it, yeah so I, I i don't know trump has a good chance of winning it's a legitimate thing to be worried about he's broadcast pretty much that if he wins he's going to try to make himself like an authoritarian like an outright authoritarian of some sort but i'm also uncertain of like how we should evaluate biden's chances at this stance if it's if it looks like now this next summer then well you know people should start to panic but at this moment with trump kind of out not in in public guy but not really in public guy like he was when he was an incumbent um i'm not sure i'm not sure you're, but if he gets on the ballot, will you be worried? Well, he, I think, I think, I think he will be on the ballot. I, I kind of that's like baked into my sort of assessment here that like he's going right. to be a nominee. 
Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see a world in which any of his would-be competitors, not Nikki Haley, not Ron DeSantis, um, are are upset him in the Republican primary. So he's going to be on the ballot, and there's n- none of these challenges um, under the Fourteenth Amendment are going to, you know, no one's going to keep him off the ballot. So he'll be on the ballot. And the question for me is, to what extent is his decent standing now a product of basically sort of people kind of not really thinking about him all that much? And then as soon as he is back in everyone's face, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we didn't like that guy. Um, to what extent is his the various trials and criminal prosecutions he's facing, to what extent do those end up like shaping the electoral landscape? If I was just reading today that, you know, prices on durable goods are in deflation, like cars are getting cheaper, mm. uh, uh, homes are getting a little cheaper. So, like, what if next summer there's, like, meaningful price deflation in the economy, right? Like, how does that affect? I mean, there's all these variables that you can throw in that will um, shift how people <clears throat> react to the to the, to the the field. So... I think Trump will be on the ballot. That gives him, by by default, pretty decent chance of being president. Is he is he favored? I'm not sure. I don't know if I think that. Um, is Biden favored? I don't know if I think that either. I'm kind of it's, a, it's all inconclusive to me. It's a it's a messy one. So I'll, I'll wrap us up with one question. So. What is an, you see people talking about, oh, the news isn't covering this. Is there any issue you think in American journalism that truly isn't getting enough coverage? Is there an issue in American journalism that do not think it's getting enough the, coverage? That people need to dig into more, that more people need to know about? That's a really good question because you're, you're right that <laughs> very often on social media, especially, you'll see someone be like, why is the media covering this? <clears throat> and it'll be like a link to the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I, you know, I think, I think the media is covering it. Um, that's a really good question. I, yeah, my, my inclination is always to be like, Hey, is it covering labor stuff? Well, but sort of like, you know, the, the, the big papers have been covering, you know, recent labor stuff actually pretty good, pretty, pretty decently. Um, there's been, you know, a bunch of places have been firing climate reporters, which doesn't augur well for climate, CNBC climate just coverage. did it as well. Yeah. Um, it, future it climate coverage. It does, it does feel like the wrong time for that to start happening, right? Yes. Um, I think coverage of the uh, war in Gaza is actually pretty decent, right? Like... If you read the time, it depends on where you're reading. There is the the whole Israeli children are children, but Palestinian children are people under eighteen. Is kind of disgraceful, right? Right. It sort of it sort of depends. If you, yeah, like speaking for my own employer, I I think our coverage has actually been pretty decent overall. Um, uh, The Post, Washington Post, I think its coverage has been pretty decent overall. Um, CNN, you know, not so great. Um, the cable networks are always sort of like, I think could be better. Um, but I, you know, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, I will say to the extent that there is not, to the extent that there's not coverage in the U S it's sort of like more, uh, critical, of the, of the Israeli government response and it's like framing. I think that there could be more of that. 
in, in yes. American coverage. Absolutely. Um, but <clears throat> but it's funny. Excuse me. It's not as if I'm like Pollyannish on the American media or anything, but that like I think that the coverage problems are like actually a little more like granular either granular or like structural than they are sort of like entire topics just not being covered. It's sort of like, you know, is the economy being covered from the, from the perspective of property owners, right? Like that's sort of a, that's like a structural problem right. in American media. And the versus, times covers, the times covers labor at times, no offense um, from the perspective of management. Right. Exactly. Um, that's, that's like a, that's like a different set of issues than like, they're not, it's not being covered. And I guess it's pretty hard to cover from the perspective of the place that should have the managerial changes. And I'm, I'm not sure most people realize that's even going on behind the scenes to the extent right. it is. Or, right. Well, I think that's all the time we've got. Jamel, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. You'll be listening to 15 Minutes in Hell. You can find us at wheresyoured.at slash podcast. Join us on Discord chat. Where's your ed.at? Thank you so much. <laughs>